Welcome to this Didicay podcast and this latest conversations episode. I'm delighted to be here with Greg Wilson, pastor of Redeemer Church Cholton. Greg, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes, so I am married to Christina and I'm father to Colin. And we are, as you can tell from my accent, not originally from England. So we uh, moved from America about uh, seven years ago to work with a church in Manchester to plant Redeemer in a neighborhood of Manchester called Chilton. So that's that's the quick and dirty version. Ah, fantastic. Uh, you came to do some teaching for a training course that we were running a few years back. And so it's great to have you on this, Greg. Really looking forward to this. Well, look, Greg, what is church? Well, you gave me a bit of a... Um, preview so i was thinking about it from yesterday um and our our church we have we do have a vision and mission statement those kind of things but what we really what everyone actually really knows is more of an identity statement which is kind of an answer to your question um so our we call redeemer we call ourselves a gospel formed family on mission and that's i think probably how i would answer the question but maybe the teased out version of that would be Church is uh, a two-hour meeting on Sunday. Wait, no, no. Mm -hmm. Church is a family created by God, formed by the gospel, on God's mission to bring wholeness to everyone, which is kind of how we pack in a gospel-formed family on mission. Oh, wonderful. Were you looking in scripture to back that up? Yeah, but the um, I think the probably one of the first places we would go to would be Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17, mm. where he has this kind of insane and audacious claim that the father loves us as much as he loves the son but that same mm -hmm. kind of infinite powerful inter-trinitarian love is the same kind of love that we get from the father and uh is also the same kind of love that others will know because of how we are experiencing that love between each other so there's some kind mm -hmm. of like public experience of this love that we're supposed to have on display that others will know of the love that not only the father has for us but the father has for other people and, and it's also this idea of um, uh, when Jesus talks about uh, how he will make a home with us. Uh, and if actually it, it's more it's put plural, how, how they will make a home with us. And there's this aspect of church being good for human community, good for the, the human community. But it's more than just that kind of community. It's a supernatural community where the Trinity chooses to make their home. Uh, with us, which I think is an amazing thing that I can kind of scratch my head around a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, what an amazing, what an amazing thought. And you've used that word family quite a bit. And is that flowing from your vision of God as this triune God? Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, and especially when we were talking about how to explain that to a place in Charlton. So Charlton is very active in the community side of things, Very has some very active charities, very politically active. And so we didn't want to use the word community because we felt like that was maybe somewhat generic and maybe not really actually getting at. I mean, you can have community with people who like to knit together, but that's not really a family. Um, that's like a shared hobby or something. And so, yeah, we tried to we go hard on that word family um, because of that, uh, the interconnectedness that the Trinity has with us and us not being individualized but us being plural um, and how we're supposed to live that out is um, something you see over and over in scripture even in the exodus um, you have these uh, people who are enslaved by those in power and they're freed but not just free to do anything they're freed to worship god and uh, god was 
the one who is going to make them a home. And a, a home isn't just a building. A home is full of people who love each other, a family. And even the way that God talks about himself in the wilderness is like this mother hen that's carrying over like these little chicks, these helpless little chicks. And so an image of a family that that we need. And when and when we, even when we talk about mission, we still use that metaphor of family in that it's kind of like a every day is a like parent take their kid to work day where the kid goes along, doesn't really do any work, but like the parent is is super excited, super glad to see the the, the kid get involved. So there's that um that kind of family dynamic, I guess, in all in all those respects. So good. And am I right in hearing that you said gospel family formed on mission? Is that right? Uh, close. Uh, you know, maybe we could change it. No, it's gospel formed family on mission, but that is a good way to put it too. So, like yeah. a family. Yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to ask about that. Would you agree with that? Like formed on mission, or you know, you got that word formed there. Blood families are not families that we we, we choose. We're called, born into them. But here's this gospel formed family. What do you mean when you're talking about formed there and this idea of formation? Yeah, it's kind of like what what shape is your family? Um, I mean, mine was quite dysfunctional growing up, and I think a lot of people have dysfunction in their family. No one comes from a perfect family, um, but the shape that your family takes uh, is the shape of its values, of what it deems important, of where it spends its time, its attention, where it spends its money, um, the kind of people they are are involved in, um, and so it, it yeah, it's not a generic family. Um, again, trying to be a little bit of a contrast to what the world might see as a family or a club or a community in that the a family that's formed by the gospel will be ultimately founded on how the Bible calls us to live and the right boundaries that the I mean, the right kind of limitations and boundaries ultimately give us the most freedom. Uh, and so that's kind of the, um, the, the purpose being there. But we could equally say that it is formed on mission as well, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of included in that. Um, because mission is the context of discipleship, uh, just as you see from Jesus calling the twelve and sending out the seventy-two, the sending out seventy-two helpless people. Like that's where real discipleship is happening, is in that context of of mission. So maybe we could say gospel form family formed on mission. I don't know. We'll have to uh, read. <laughs> <page now. laughs> so I, I want to press into that idea of mission just in a minute, but. Um... What do those kind of formational habits look like for you as a, as a church family? Yeah, um, this is something that we you know, we try to spend a long time uh, thinking through. And I, th- I think we got some things right, but we're all, I guess, stumbling towards faith together. So the um, we so the, a few of our bigger things is as a family would have kind of planned formal times, like maybe like a family mm-hmm. dinner or a family meal. We have those formal times. We have Sunday worship together. And then we also have uh, like kind of family times with our missional communities, what we call our small groups. And those are formalized time in the calendar. You're showing up unless you're saying you're not showing up kind of thing. Um, and then, but we also have uh, informal aspects too of where we're hanging out, maybe before or after those things or, um, or in between those things. Because if a family is only kind of what's done on um, via the calendar because of schedules and commitments and stuff like that doesn't really feel like a like a family Uh, it's kind of like a I don't know a job or something like that Um, but in order to be a member of our church you we do that through our missional communities Um, basically the way we view our missional communities because we started with one missional community before we were anything 
is Sundays are when our mystical communities get to meet together and celebrate together what Jesus has done. And throughout the week, that's where the real actual formation of stuff happens. And so to become a member of Redeemer, uh, you have to go through a mystical community. And that might, some people aren't able to make the main kind of missional community meetings. And so we really see them as a set of relationships before they're a set of meetings. Um, of course, relationships need time for people to meet up. So they're not completely mutually exclusive, but uh, to become a member, there's these um, kind of seven habits that we have people kind of go through, not necessarily like ticking off a list, but more of like, how are we growing in um, generosity? How are we growing in serving towards others? How are we growing in praying? In reading the Bible, in uh, in gathering together, those kinds of things are the questions that we're asking. And if there's like a uh, a trajectory towards something, then that's that's kind of what we're looking for. No one's going to be perfect, except that their name was Jesus, and then um, we wouldn't be asking him to become a member of our church. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, well, where do you want us to lead us, <laughs> leader of mm-hmm. our church? Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot. Um, yeah, we try and get them into actually the, our values. We try and get them into the day to day habits of our lives. Nice. So you sort of hinted at them there, but that involves prayer, uh, serving others. Could you just go through those again? Those seven habits. Yeah, yeah. So there is, um, uh, uh, yeah, prayer and the word abiding in that, and that looks different for different people if they're kind of early on in faith or or further along in faith. And we just kind of ask how that's going. Um, one of our commitments is to live with the missional community like a family. So that means serving people. Um, that means being served by people, kind of being being present, which now is uh, much more difficult post-COVID because I think we've all got used to not being present. So being present is a big important thing. Um, being committed to our identity as missionaries. And that's not an, as much of an individualized thing as much as it is joining in the shared mission of uh, of what our missional communities have. Every one of our missional communities, they get to choose their own. The group gets to choose where they want to kind of have a shared mission and different people get to do different aspects of that. Um, there's a, a debt being committed to our identity as servants. And so that can be um, whether that's serving the, the MC, the missional community or Sundays, or even just kind of serving in general, just to see where, where are you serving committed to a life of repentance is one of them. Uh, Actually, did I say seven? I'm pretty sure there's seven. Hopefully, I'm counting right here. Uh, and then generosity, <laughs> and then also uh, being uh, committed to the worship gatherings. Because sometimes uh, churches that go strong on missional communities um, can end up being a bit more lopsided on mission. A lot of people involved in missional communities not necessarily as involved in the Sunday worship gathering thing. And we just want to add a, add one in there mm-hmm. and make sure we're somewhat balanced. And so if someone joined your church, you would get ladies on the table fairly quickly. Yeah, I would hope fairly quickly, although in reality, it's probably not as quickly as we'd like to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. someone, whether they join via a missional community or a Sunday, um, people come in different ways. Um, yeah, we say, oh, we would love for you to uh, be committed um, and be a, a healthy member of our church. Here's what those mm. things look like. That's so helpful. So we've thought a little bit about kind of family and just as families have rituals and habits and gatherings, uh, so too. Uh, there's the church family but I just want to think about that idea of mission because I think sometimes we we may have experienced in the past you know a friend who got married and had kids and you you never see them again because they've sort of retreated into that little bubble that is that is family and that's not really a biblical vision of family is it family is always out out like just like that the the trinity outward looking and so to church family so you talk about going on mission these families that that move outwards that move forwards 
what does that look like for you? Yeah, the um, oh, what does that look like for us? I think well, at first it looks like um, us talking about it a lot, um, and hopefully not in a way that it like berates people or leads to people to a guilt trip, um, but just talks about what that looks like a lot, like how that could look like a lot. So I think some people might think, oh, because I'm not a, an amazing amazing evangelist, I'm not really living on mission, not really a missionary, um, or because I live in my home culture, I'm not really a missionary, but. Jesus really calls us all missionaries, regardless of wherever we are. Um, so we do try and keep that a priority in, in the things that we talk about. And um, we try and put money towards that and we try and spend time on that. But I, th- I guess the way that it works out is uh, there's church-wide mission things. So we might have, and that those are more event-based stuff. So we might have like Christmas events that we do, um, alpha courses, um, ways to serve the community. There's a local uh, charity that helps people who are homeless and living in food Mm -hmm. poverty that we do a lot of things with. Um, And that's more, that's quite broad community-based serving things that are good things to do um, anyway. Um, But they also, uh, what we get to do is disciple people in in our neighborhood about what a church ought to be about. Um, like a church actually does care for its people, even if its people don't want to be involved in the church. Um, so that that's one aspect. Then another level down would be uh, on the missional community level. So at the moment, we have three missional communities. We're looking to expand to four soon here. But um, one of our uh, MCs, their shared mission are basically we have a people. You have to pick a people in a place, a certain amount of people who are at a certain kind of place. And then we figure out these questions on how to serve them how to bring the word to them, how to speak the gospel, because um, that's not going to happen immediately often. So there's normally a process in how that goes about. So one of our MCs, their shared mission are the volunteers for the park run at Alex Park. So from the, I think they helped start it from the beginning. Um, and uh, they've been doing it for years now. Redeemer is four years old. I think they started or maybe like two years ago. Um, and now instead of volunteers just volunteering on a park run and then going home there's a monthly pub night and there's a board game nights that one of the families holds and there's um i think like a poker night that one of the guys holds as well and so it's become a bit more of a social thing they're actually getting to know people to know how to speak the gospel into their lives listening to their lives if someone has a kid they'll organize meals for them and people are just like blown away by that which if you've been around the church you're just kind of used to that but for people who haven't been around the church for that kind of um i mean I don't even want to say selfless because it doesn't feel like a lot, but it is selfless. It's not like an amazing sacrifice. Um, but even that small little thing can be, can really affect people. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that they, that they're on the mission on mission for. One of our other MCs came um, off of uh, an alpha series that we did. And so the people who stayed on, who were part of alpha, um, they've heard about what missional communities were from the beginning and so it wasn't weird. Um, and also they had no church background, so it wasn't weird. If you have a church background, missional communities is weird. If you don't have a church background, all the church is weird anyway. So you're like, oh, there's just <laughs> another weird thing. So, yeah, um, uh, But they knew from the beginning, oh, if we want to continue uh, learning about Jesus, um, then we have these missional communities set up. And what would happen instead of it being something else, like you guys would be the mission of the group. And you're in order for you to understand the Bible more to see if this is something you want to get more in on. So they knew from the beginning that they were the mission, uh, which is great because you didn't have to feel like you were doing some kind of behind the scenes. Well, how can we set something up in order to talk about that? It's like, no, they just they knew what they were coming for. Um, And some of those people have become believers, um, which is fantastic. And they're still kind of investigating uh, about uh, investigating the Bible and Jesus 
Um, but it's been really great to see their progress in that. And then there's the mission community that I help lead. Uh, and that is basically for mostly around our friends and neighbors here in, in the center of Charlton. Um, we, we have the very intricate and difficult mission of throwing dinner parties where we invite people over. And that's basically all we need to do, nice. <laughs> which is great. And that's like, if it's fun, if it's easy, that'll be something you could do forever because you won't get burned <laughs> out by it. And so we've been doing that for a long time. Um, and it's been really cool to see not only for our friends to get to know church people and get to see, oh, church people are not as crazy as I thought, because most, I mean, none of our friends really knew any Christians before us. And then also it's really cool to see people who are Christians join in and realize how enjoyable and how fun and how exciting, um, even something like a dinner altogether can be. So yeah, it's been great. How, how do you as a pastor, like keep your, your church family looking, looking outwards when, when there's always that temptation to kind of turn turn inwards i mean it's interesting that you, even how you label your groups like they're not small groups like these little bubble things the missional communities there's that outward looking uh, aspect built into even the name but how, how do you as a pastor keep your church looking outwards yeah that's um that's a really good question um i could definitely say from the beginning it's not something i'm doing i i'm i'm joining but i'm not really man if it's up to me Actually, if it was up to me, I would probably burn people out by telling people to do loads of things that they don't mm. actually need to do. The um, but yeah, the late even the, the reason why we have that weird label for our small groups is to kind of keep us honest. To be like, it's called a missional community, and if we're not doing that, then we can either fold it or realign it. Um, which we've had to do before, and that's and that's okay too. Um, I think uh, ways that we keep on, I think when it comes up in scripture and does come up in scripture often, when it comes up in scripture, we just, we talk about it in a way that um, tries to honestly, not just give lip service to it, but talk about where we need to repent and grow in there. Um, and, uh, and talk about what that could possibly look like. Um, and we just went through and we were, we're going in, we're, um, we've started a series of Matthew recently and even the, the beginning of Matthew, it's just so clear how, Matthew was already setting Jesus up to be for outsiders, for people who aren't your traditional religious types. Um, I mean, he's coming from a background of people who included in that are women who don't fit traditional sexual kind of stereotypical backgrounds. Uh, and the first people who really worship the baby, Jesus, are magi from Babylon. Like these are Israel. Like it's just the people who ought not to get it are getting it. Um, and so there's when that stuff comes up, um, yeah, we like to bring it up and and just talk about what God's teaching us through that. I think also our um, what we study in our missional communities kind of sometimes we have more mission focused kind of study things, but sometimes we don't. Um, but we wanted to at least be kept on um, in some kind of rotation as we do. And also uh, our all of our so, um, our missional communities are led by at least three or four people. So it's a good broad leadership for each, um, but they get uh, coaching every, well, they're supposed to get coaching or so every three months, whether or not that actually happens that often is another thing, <laughs> but ideally every three months asking those questions, like how are we pressing into the word and to prayer? How are we pressing into community? Um, and how are we kind of pressing into mission? What does that look like? What are some help that you might need? Um, how to pray for it? Things like that. So we just, um, if uh, I think because we are on, um, we press into mission, um, that means we don't have a lot of 
programs for people who are already Christians and who are actually like doing really good in their lives. Um, and that might not be an attractive thing for people who are looking for a church, but it's the kind of thing that people who aren't looking for a church here in Toronto really need. Just before we kind of back up and and, and look at the story of, of Redeemer uh, Church Cholton, and um, perhaps as church planters, leaders listening to this and They've not yet started or, or they've just started a church plant. You're a few years down the road. What, what does your role look like uh, in, in the life of the church? Could you give us a little bit of insight into to what a typical day, week is for you and, and kind of what some of your priorities are uh, when there's all sorts of things that you could be doing? Mm, yeah, no, that is so difficult. There's, uh, that's the um, the joy and frustration of planting a church. So many things you can be doing. Um well, yeah, so my role, even just this past month, has changed <coughs> much more significantly than before in that we have the makings of a mostly kind of volunteer staff team. Um, uh, and so now I have an, uh, another, and also we have, um, so we would um, try and have like a plurality of eldership to lead the church. At the moment, I'm the only elder, but we have two other guys who are going through that process at Lord willing, will be elders soon along with me. Um, so there's a little, it's a much different than how we started. Um, and we started was kind of functionally a little bit like a pioneer kind of parachute church plant in a lot of ways. But what it looks like now is um, uh, I probably leader that I think maybe one of the best definitions for leadership is how to disappoint people in the best way at the right time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how to make sure people disappointing the right people for the right reasons. Um, so uh, I think now I have um, a layer of, of leadership to try and um, care for, to steward. Some people are, um, uh, my job, my role is a little bit more to hold them back so they don't do too much and get injured. Um, some, sometimes my role for other people might be to kind of push them a little bit to try things that they maybe wouldn't have. And that's different for different people. And we're still, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how this staff team really, um, gets along and coalesces yet because we've only just begun, but that is a goal to kind of for have a, an equal trust between us all that we could really get the, um, oh man, I wish I had a better word for it, but I can't now cause it's stuck in my head to take advantage of the synergy of the, uh, the team altogether. Um, so that that's that's a new thing for me. Um, normally Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday mornings, I'm working on the sermon for the week. Um, I wish I had a lot more time to work on a sermon. I probably get like six hours a week, um, and so uh, I can write a sermon generally kind of quickly. But um, the difference between a a good and a great sermon might be in those last couple hours, and um, most of the time I don't really get those hours, which is fine. But maybe one day might change. Hmm. Uh, normally for lunch, I'm meeting somebody and that can be, um, at Wednesdays, I've been meeting somebody who's recently become a Christian. Um, and we just been going to kind of do a Bible overview. Uh, sometimes that might be uh, meeting with one of our leaders or someone who might be newer to the church. Um, so try and take advantage of the lunches there. If I don't have a, a meeting for lunch, I'll just watch something good on Netflix and chill out for 40 minutes, which is mm. as, as spiritual <laughs> as anything else could be. So, I'll ask you what you're watching later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. The, um, uh, and then in the afternoon, there's a lot of admin stuff. So um, I'm doing, uh, could be design work, could be website work, could be sending emails, responding to emails, um, could be trying to schedule things up, um, whether that might be uh, training for MC leaders or church planting stuff, coaching. There's like loads of things that take up. Um 
Yeah. How, how to balance between the, the things not to do and the things to do is really difficult. I find that difficult and I generally um, work too much. Um, but I've been getting better at that. I think um, I, I feel like I'm just a, well, probably for the rest of my life, be a recovering workaholic. And so uh, I have a kind of a lot of things that I keep in my life to try and um, help me realize where I am in work. So I, I'm pretty um, fanatical about keeping track of my hours that I work. That way I know by the end of the week, why am I so tired? Like, oh, because I've worked a stupid amount of hours. Of course, mm-hmm. I've got to change things next week. Um, I have a few other few people in my life as well who ask me good questions about how I'm doing with that. I think, um, especially as a church planter, learning how to differentiate your identity as a child of God between um, your identity as a pastor, church planter, even husband, even father, um, is uh, is probably 99% of the battle. And just, it seems like there is a bit of a shape to your day in terms of, you know, particularly the mornings you just said, there's that deep thought work, sermon work, meeting people over lunch, then perhaps the more administrative stuff in the afternoon. Is that is that is that shape of a day a recognition of uh, of how you best work? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely um, I'm most creative in the mornings and sometime in the evenings if I'm not too tired. Um, so writing a sermon in the afternoon would feel like a slog. Mm. And also, I probably wouldn't be able to pay attention as well to someone in the afternoon um, unless I have a good cup of coffee with me. Um, as opposed to maybe sometime during lunch or something around there. And so I kind of save all the um, less brain and less relational focus tasks for for later on. But yeah, mornings are definitely my creative time. You, you said your role has, has shifted quite a lot over, over the years, the last few years. Is some of that like that, you know, in those early years, you perhaps were doing a, a lot more, you know, wider variety of things and be able to delegate some stuff or has it been learning about yourself and how you best work or learning from the scriptures? Like what is the job of a pastor? Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah, I think um, in the early days, it's really I mean, I wasn't uh, other people were doing things for sure, but um everyone else has normal jobs. So um, (laughs) the one guy that was freed up to actually work for Redeemer uh, meant that, uh, and not only that, but it was also beginning uh, relationships with people here, whether they were um, uh, like local counselors or the MP, or um, there's a lot of kind of community groups we're a part of, Trilton Traders. We helped restart Trilton Arts Festival. There's this Trilton Co-op group um uh unity arts is another one so uh, there's like all these kind of groups that um i knew it would be important to be involved in but also didn't know it was a bit of like let's do everything see what sticks Mm -hmm. and then or what what's sticking the most and then try and focus a little bit more on that and if there are people in redeemer who really find something interesting then let them go for it as much as i might like to do it the Toronto arts festival is a great example so it was um kind of resurrected in Oh, maybe 2018, I think. I can't remember now. Um, and uh, Redeemer was able to, from the beginning, we were able to kind of help be a part of that planning process. And I would go to every single meeting and helped out loads and we donated money, all that kind of stuff. But now I've not been to a meeting uh, for uh, maybe a year and a half or two years because we have someone um, in Redeemer who absolutely loves it and is really good at it. And so she goes to all those meetings and helps the planning stuff. And we still get to be involved, but it... Um, now it's a bit of that uh, the diverse kind of our diverse uh, the diversity in the congregation being able to take it on, and she'll do a better job I'm sure than I could because yeah she's better at that kind of stuff, so that maybe is like yeah one example of of that I think 
um, it was not only trying to start everything from scratch, but also um, you're trying to develop uh, people to lead. And in some ways, actually in a lot of ways, um, for a lot of people, they probably felt like it was from scratch as well. Like, oh, well, I've never led anything in a church. Like, well, surprise, you're in a church plant. Now you're a leader. <laughs> so <laughs> there is a lot of uh, zero to one starting that requires a lot of energy to overcome that initial inertia. Um, but now things are rolling a bit and um, people have learned and grown. Um, and uh, I I have learned about myself, but I think now I have a little bit, God's given a little bit of a luxury to be able to decide between things. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very, that's been helpful. Not that I'm always able to, um, uh, I would like more of those decisions in the future. That'd be nice. So, um, cause I think I probably am spread a little bit thin in general, but, uh, not as thin as when we first started. So mm-hmm. moving things forward. Well, take us, take us back four or five years before mm-hmm. Redeemer Church Shortland existed. Uh, and tell, talk to us about the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh man, before we moved to England, I was, um, at a role in a, a church in South Carolina it was called a church plant resident, church planting resident. Um, and I was there for two years to um, learn about a church plant and uh, without having to be the main guy, which is really helpful. I had all the theological background and stuff from seminary degree. And uh, I was a pastor for a bit as well in, in Florida. But the kind of how to do the church planting side, um, I knew I needed some some help with. So um, we moved to South Carolina for a couple of years. And uh, there was a new church there we helped that we helped to plant. And they've they grew very quickly and um, they've grown a lot since. Um, but through that residency, we got connected to a church here in Manchester. Um, and I knew that ideally for us or um, maybe for most people, but definitely for us, we didn't want to go into a city and just kind of start from scratch without. We feel like churches plant churches in places where there are churches, um, not individuals. And so we connected with, really well with this church uh, in Manchester called Grace Church. And they were part of Acts 29, which is the same church planting network we were a part of. And so the, and they had what we thought was exactly what we were praying for. It was kind of like such a golden plan of come to Grace Church for a couple of years. For the first year, don't do anything but learn about the culture, get to learn the people, see how we do ministry, uh, see if it makes sense for you guys to plant from us. And then a year from then, maybe we could talk about that then. And that long form, instead of come here in six months, all right, let's start it up. Um, especially being American, we knew that we needed more time to kind of learn the culture. Um, and we're very, very thankful for that. So we got to do that. So we went to Grace Church. Um, I got to know the city a bit, talked to loads of people about where there could be more churches. Turns out you could basically just put your finger on a map and you'd be all right. <laughs> but there are particular areas that people came up with that we narrowed it down to four. These called them gospel priority areas. Um, and uh we also kind of did at the same time mapped out where everyone in Grace Church lived to see if maybe there was a place where if it was culturally different or geographically different enough for even Grace Church to hive off a bunch of people. Um, but what we found was uh, so Grace Church meets in Moss Side. There's a lot of people who live in like Withington, um, Fallowfield Way. Uh, and there were people who were coming from Stratford, from Ermston, uh, but the in-between, which was Charlton, where we are, was like a black hole of people. There was nobody coming from Charlton. And what originally our thought was, oh, let's see where people are coming from. Then we were like, actually, maybe we should think of where people aren't coming from. And why is that? And so we we're asking those questions. And we had already um, come to Charlton 
we would always come to Trollton. And we first we were living in, in Mossside and Fallowfield. Um, but we would come to Trollton all the time just to hang out and um just we just enjoyed it. And we felt like it was one of the few places when we first moved here, one of the few places that we understood what it was about. Uh uh and or I mean not perfectly, but like at least slightly. And there was some aspect of it where it felt like home. We've lived in places similar to the artsy kind of bohemian area that the Charlton is in the past. And there's something about that that just um, felt comforting. Um, and I always thought a place like Charlton has such a, uh, an influence on the city and probably really the nation with in media or the NHS or, or all sorts of places that it ought to be crawling with people wanting to plant churches. How, why, where, where is the spiritual influence? And it's not really coming from the church. It was very, uh, very weak um, coming from the church. There are churches here, um, but surely there need to be more. Because basically this area is about 60,000 people uh, and people outside that area come in as well. But um, we wanted to be a part of, um, yeah, uh, being able to serve those 60,000 people here. So that's what kind of started this idea of, of Trollton. And um, it was interesting because I think the main detractor that people always gave was everyone always told us to go to uh, deprived in their minds, like materially deprived communities. And that's great and fantastic. And people surely need to go there. But then I would always ask them, um, well, would you be interested in coming with me to do that? And nobody ever said yes. <laughs> they always thought I should go there. And they wouldn't go. Um, and so there were places that we were interested in looking into, but it didn't seem like anyone would actually come with us. Um, a place like Trollton, we uh, people were like, oh, but Trollton's kind of, they're fine. They're well off. Like they're middle class. As if some kind of material existence equals like being well off and being okay. Um, if anything, uh, though it is not financially, like materially deprived, although some areas of it certainly are, um, it is by and large, like spiritually deprived, unlike some other places. So um, maybe there's some kind of like class issue going on there. Maybe some kind of um, the water that we're the consumerist kind of materialistic water that we're all swimming in. We don't realize for ourselves, but that would seem to be a really big hurdle for people. Like, wow, why would you go to Trollton? That's like, that's like a posh life, but you know, it's not really posh like real Trollton is not really posh, but we certainly aren't posh. Um, but uh yeah, so um, we ended up uh, coming here, and then um, and now we all everyone has problems of uh, rent and house prices and all sorts of things like that because they're insane here. But that's part of the issue of living here. <laughs> There's a few things I want to pick up on on there, but just talk to us. So you kind of located Cholton. What did the process of establishing the plant look like uh, from then? Yeah, so what um, what we started with before we even began to meet together, we had I think a year's worth of um, uh, prayer meetings where we pray for businesses, local councilors, schools, things like that. Um, and out of that, we um, we started meeting as a missional community in our house. So the first meeting, we had nine people in our middle room and shared dinner and went through a book and talked about kind of what we would, what kind of church we'd like to be. We didn't have a, I don't know if we even had a name by then yet. Um, and uh, just and also praying and asking God to form us to be the kind of church He wants us to be, and put that in our hearts as well. Um, and that uh, we started having parties with you know, neighbors and food and all that kind of fun and easy stuff. And that missional community uh, eventually multiplied to two. I think we had been, and actually once we multiplied, 
I think that's when we began um, started. We began um, Sunday worship gatherings. So now we were more than one small group that met during the week. We were two, and the um, that for us made kind of logical, practical sense to have a Sunday worship gathering. We can meet together. Um, we first met in our house for a long time. We went through forty-two different venues here in Charlton. None of them worked. Um, but then uh, eventually we uh, convinced a bar to give in to us, Dulcimer, which is on Wilbraham. And um, sometimes they would open up, uh, sometimes they wouldn't, and we'd go back to our house, <laughs> which was kind of like a walk of shame. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was really great for Dulcimer. We had it. So we had Dulcimer for a year and we kind of outgrew that. And then we were able to, um, on a Sunday, we were able to meet at the Royal Oak, which is just around the corner from there, but a much larger space. Um, and we're still there now in their function room. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we got from from zero to one. It was uh, fits and starts in, in a lot of ways, but mm. mostly it was through relationships and getting to know people. And um, some people from uh, Grace Church sent, I can't remember how many people Grace Church sent, but some people from Grace Church actually moved in the Charlton area, which was fantastic. Mm. Um, and that was really, I mean, that is something as, uh, as an American, you don't really see very much, which I think is, amazing because it happened quite common here people choose to live around their church which of course makes sense um and really shows where people's priorities are but yeah so mm -hmm. when that happened i was like oh i think we might actually be something now <laughs> or we ought to be <laughs> <laughs> and, and you talked about being in that front room and and kind of talking through what kind of church would we like to be how, how did those ecclesiological commitments develop like was that coming from you were you driving that or were you talking about that as a as a church or as a little group there yeah i think um well i had i definitely had um my ideas but um i knew that if they were just merely my ideas that uh i could communicate them but they would have less power and they probably would be less true and i wanted to really take advantage of the um of, of what we kind of believe to be as a church for us all to get buy-in. Um, uh, we went through a couple of books. I think one of them I remember off the top of my head was Jeff Vanderstelt's book called Saturate. And it was just, it's a kind of a basic overview of the Christian life and how we're to live. Um, but it's like the, just like the gospel is the ABCs and A to Z of, of the Christian life. Um, and we, yeah, so we read through that and we were kind of like, well, what, uh, what will we, first of all, yeah, I, th I think we took a bit of an inventory of, of, what we thought we had as a group already, even just as a small group, what were some of our gifts would be? And family ended up, there was some aspect of of that word um, came up quite early on. I think um, uh, joy as, as well came up early on, though we didn't really like, we haven't really capitalized on that since. Um, definitely there was a, a group's desire to have uh, good biblical teaching that made sense to people who were, who were religious or people who weren't. Um, and I think there was a, definitely a sense of mission that flew, that um, was an overflow of generosity. Not that this is something that we have to do, but something because we've been poured into so much and um, we want it to overflow to others, which would inform something like how we would teach, for example, or would inform our missional communities. Like we want to keep them, uh, if Sundays are where people come to us, our missional communities are where we go to others. And that it ought to be a function of generosity, not just like mere duty. Um yeah, so those kind of things came about. So it was a bit of like I was I would throw out ideas, I think. And then but as a group, we would chat through them and we'd either be like, oh, that doesn't that word isn't really great. What I don't think it really gets to this. And um, yeah, I, I kind of 
I guess it's more of like a um a workshoppy kind of planning meeting is how those things went. Um, and we would talk about it kind of often knowing that it was, you know, not really going to be set in stone and like, oh, this is okay. Let's think about that and pray about that for a month and try it on and see what it's like. And then we'll come back to it. Um, and uh, we're probably due, I, I would think probably after next year, we're probably due to rethink some of those values. Is this who we are now? Is this who we want to be now? Because that's just five years ago is very different from where we are now. Um, and so maybe we need to ask God about what kind of church do you want us to be now? It's a sort of cheeky bonus question. I just, as, a, as I'm listening to you, I, I would love to get your take on kind of church and culture because you, you've planted into, uh, into Cholton. I mean, how, what do you call it? An irreligious context mm. or an unchurch context? Yeah. What, what, what's your, what's your take on that? And, you, and you've talked to us a little bit about getting involved in a lot of local projects as well. And um, not every church does that. Not every church kind of gets on board with what's already going on in the world. And I guess those, those postures of, uh, of church with regards to uh, uh, society differ in the Christian world. What, what's your take on that? Yeah. The, um, I think we would probably lean heavily on a um, Jeremiah 29 kind of thing that, um, we as a church are called to be part of the world and to, um, well, we use the word cultivate, to cultivate it um, in a way that, um, that in a way that illustrates the glory of God in kind of very normal ways. Um, and really, um, in a lot of ways and very practical ways, especially its welfare does determine our welfare. Um, if we have, um, like bad local counselors that make dumb decisions on businesses and schools, then that's not really good. But if we have good ones and I think we have fantastic ones and that actually helps out a lot. Um, if, if, uh, we get involved in a school in order to help kind of bolster its work in the community and things like that. And then that's actually really good for us and the community. Um, now so a lot of that too is, um, comes from a, I guess, a, um, I don't know if there's a way to put it, but like a missional tactic maybe of, um, needing to, I guess, works of justice being a platform of which to talk about the gospel. Um, and works of justice can be very easy kind of serving the community kind of things. And we don't do it merely just to talk about the gospel because it's a good thing to do in itself. But unless we have those works of justice going on, our words uh, will remain empty on in people's ears. Um, so it gives us a little bit of legitimacy and also gives us the relational um, uh context of which to speak the gospel in because we know these people because we work alongside them with things and we plan things with them um and they know that we're a church who's for others even if we're not necessarily even if they're not necessarily um kind of for us so but yeah we would see it really as um uh i would see it as like a um a uh not just like a good idea but a bit of an imperative for us as a church is to um, work towards cultivating a, a rich culture here, which is different than um, uh, even terminology, which is different than something of like, often you might hear the word like engage with culture, where really like engaging is a, a bit of a, like a wrestling kind of terminology or like a, a military terminology instead of this idea of cultivating or caring or um, serving or things like that. So even in those kind of words that we use, um, I'm sure I don't abide by it all the time, but I try and not use something like let's engage with culture as much as like, let's see how to cultivate culture. Cause we're not really, I mean, we will engage with it, 
but as a product of of wanting to cultivate it cultivating i think comes first and you do have to engage with it at times um but we do want to see uh charlton and however in whatever kind of small way manchester how it can be cultivated to be um rich soil for god to to grow mm. um but yeah uh, i could talk more about that i just i do yeah. think that especially as a as a outside person like from america coming here um i i maybe i'm a bit of like a culture nerd as well and so i just my wife i would say my wife and i we're not quite closet anglophiles we just we're just anglophiles um at so, <laughs> a level of we just really like talking about this stuff and mm. being involved in stuff whether it's yeah the school board or you know all sorts of things mm. that we can be involved in um i i think probably now more than ever the church here i guess the other thing um there's a level of um there is an opportunity for the church to respond to the claims of what's the church good for, which is probably what a lot of people generally outside the church would say. And I think fair enough. I mean, what, whether or not um, they know about your particular church or not, that's a really, that's a fair, fair question. Cause in their experience, the church probably hasn't really been very good. Uh, now they may not know that the church has been in charge of starting educational systems, starting orphanages, really basically in charge of um, the the nice kind of life we live in the West. But for their actual life, if they've lived on earth, it might be very probable the church has actually really not done very much for them. And uh, we, as much as much as we can as a small church, want to be um, able to say, even if we were, like if we were to leave, for someone who doesn't believe, so you know, I didn't believe in that Christian stuff, but I'm really sad that Redeemer's not there anymore because of mm. X. And to leave those kind of uh, those kind of legacies behind, mm. um, we don't, and we don't have a building which affords us to be able to to well, actually forces us to be more active. Um, and so there's some element of there has to be something more than just caring for a building that's that people will care about. Mm. So yeah, it's a little bit of a, a, a smattering of thoughts, but yeah. I guess in that sense, you know, the church are those who, who gather to worship the Lord and then that worship works itself out into to blessing the world. Is that is that sort of what you're what you're suggesting there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. In fact, what um we end all of our services with um the end of the Lord's Prayer. Only in our translation we say in Manchester as in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we really do believe that if there is a wor- a group of worshiping people people who worship jesus together then that is going to change um the is that is going to have earth reflect a little bit more of heaven and if those worshiping people are gathered in small groups to be able to continue that out in small individualized ways or more individualized ways then surely that's going to have the earth reflect more of heaven Mm. Um, so yeah um the goal would be something like that although even uh, maybe it's a little bit funny because you come around to redeemer like there's like 40 people here what are you guys going to do but when you think about it 40 people who are all on the same mission can really do a lot there's there's a lot um that you can get involved in and um obviously you can do more if you're with more people but i guess never underestimate the power of of 10 people who are all in on something well i guess you think of the disciples as 12 people who are all in on something birth of the church Um, these are they who turn the world upside down sort of thing exactly yeah yeah and um that and i would love for us to be known as a church like that um even from the outside from people who haven't kind of experienced it as insiders perhaps just the the final question you've been on this journey really of, of church planting and a lot of prayer 
people committing to to this little church fellowship, people moving to Cholton, a lot of kind of thoughtful consideration of who you want to be, delegation of responsibility, all those things that we've we've talked about. But above all, like Jesus is the focus, isn't he? And I guess my final question, what, what have you learned about Jesus in this journey? Oh man, I think what I've learned about Jesus, I think uh, I have been uh, privileged to be able to see to see him work in places that um, no one, no human would ever expect to see him work, to be able to see him. Uh, I mean, the great, the best part of my job is I get a front row seat to see those things happen and get to chat with these people, um, to hear someone who is 60 years old and has been through horrible kind of life circumstances talk about how she now like follows Jesus and, and the love that she gets from Jesus and to hear those stories to, um, for someone who um, came from like backgrounds of abuse or someone who's been in and out of prison and even still in and out of prison to talk about the love that they have for Jesus because of how much Jesus loves them mm-hmm. uh, is, um, it is an amazing honor and privilege to be able to, to, to be able to experience that. And that helps remind me of um how god is still alive and at work in my own life and that and that's i think maybe a difficult thing for me to get sometimes maybe that's just because i'm cynical or been around the church for too long or whatever i don't know what the thing is but um it uh those stories kind of help melt my cold heart realize oh jesus really loves me um in fact despite my um uh, my failings and lack of leadership and lack of ability and all these other kind of things that that I bring to the table, Jesus still loves me. Um, yeah, I, I, um, maybe it sounds too simple, but um, I think for a long time I thought that God liked me, but He didn't really love me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I've been at this, the more I'm just kind of overwhelmed at how much God actually loves me and wants me to enjoy this life and uh, how continually being able to uncover that phrase that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing and there's no blessing out there that exists that we have not been blessed with yet outside of G like it just, um, yeah, I, I think I just get to, um, discover that in new ways and definitely have been, uh, yeah, because of that, he's kept us. There's been, um, various times where because of visas or things like that, um, that uh, we probably shouldn't even be living here, but Jesus has kept us here and he'll keep us going for as, as long as he deems fit. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's, I'll, I'll start rambling and, and going into all sorts of other things. But I think that the fact that God doesn't just like me, that he loves me. Mm. Glorious. Well, good news. Well, good news. I love that. And Jesus is alive and he's forming mm. this, well, this gospel form family, on mission, as you put it earlier. Greg, thank you so much for all you've shared. It's been great just getting some insight into Redeemer Church Cholton, some insight into your life, your ministry. I really, really value that. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast uh, and sharing your wisdom. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been really fun.